Hi, everybody, and thank you for joining us. Today, we have a truly unique and amazing show. I'm so glad you're with us. If you're a fan of American Idol, you're going to find out some secrets today you would not believe. We have with us Trish Kinane. She is one of our Exceptional Women Awardees, and she is the president of Fremantle Entertainment Programming and uh, Media in uh, the United States. And she is the lady who is behind that amazing American Idol, which we love so much. She also was involved with America's Got Talent. Trish is an incredible entertainment executive, and she has launched a community and stars who could never have imagined the kind of success they had. And you're going to hear something from her that no one else knows about tonight, and that is what happened when COVID hit and the American Idol show had to go on. You're going to hear all about it. And joining Trish is another one of our Exceptional Women Awardees, Jennifer Cooper. Jennifer is an amazing entertainment executive. She is the global head of media, industry, strategy, and solutions at Microsoft. And she has closely witnessed massive changes in the entertainment industry with streaming and so many other things regarding data collection that have happened. Jennifer is a digital strategist. She has had a seat at the table through these decades of change, and you are going to hear some things you may never have heard before from her from her enormous insights. I'm Lorraine Siegel. I'm the founder, chair, and CEO of the Exceptional Women Awardees Foundation. And we enable high-level, high-potential women to reach their dreams. Why did we start this foundation? Well, I never had a mentor. Early in my career as a lawyer and then as a CEO of a number of different companies, and even as a board director, I never had a coach. And so I wanted to be sure that women who walk the road less traveled, like me and the women you will meet tonight, would forever throughout their lives have a community of women leaders who would support and guide them for the rest of their lives. And that's exactly what we've done at EWA. And so without further ado, let's move to our two amazing guests. Welcome Trish Kinane and Jennifer Cooper. So happy to have you both with us tonight. You are truly amazing executives and my dear friends, and we're gonna learn a lot from you, I know. Trish, I'm gonna go straight to you because I want to know what happened when COVID hit how did you save that amazing American Idol? Uh, Lorraine, it was incredibly dramatic. Um, the strategy that we had went straight out the window. Um, Mid-March last year, we were preparing to go into the studio to do the American Idol live shows. So singing, dancing, lights, the CBS uh, television studios in Los Angeles. And suddenly we weren't able to do that at all. So we had to rethink, how are we going to do this? In fact, one of the questions was, do we even do this? Maybe we postpone it for a year. Um, we decided not to postpone it. These kids that apply for American Idol, they deserve to have their chance. They deserve to have the next American Idol crowned. So we, along with the network ABC, decided to go ahead. But that then brought the question, how on earth do we do this? We had to switch from going into the studio to doing live remote shows from 45 different locations all around America. So we had to send out iPhones, ring lights, microphones, set dressing to all of our contestants who live all over the place, you know, not necessarily in big cities. Some of them were in tiny little places in America. Katy Perry, Luke Bryan, Lionel Richie, Ryan Seacrest, 
they all had the same kit sent to them. And, you know, these guys have got managers and teams. But when COVID struck, they just had themselves and a couple of people that they trusted to be with them during COVID to help them. So there was a lot to do um, and a lot of uh, challenges that we had to face. That was amazing. And, you know, one of the things that makes it's so exciting is the audience. So what did you do about audience participation? Well, in the early parts of the show, you don't need that as much, but we had to just think about how to involve them. We used Zooms, we used Microsoft Teams, we used all sorts of ways of involving the audience. Uh, for example, in the auditions, Ryan Seacrest couldn't be outside the door hugging people anymore. So we developed a 180 degree screen in a different room and we had live link ups with the contestants' families so that they could have the emotion and the participation that we couldn't actually do physically. So technology came into the fore in an amazingly important way for us. Oh, incredible. Well, talking about technology, Jennifer, you are the person who has so much expertise in technology. What did technology do? What was the role that it played over the last 12 to 14 months in your experience? Well, Lorraine, um, it was transformational, truly. Um, COVID hit at probably the most unexpected time. And just like Trish uh, mentioned, everyone across the entertainment industry decided, well, where possible, the show must go on. And so a lot of folks have turned to cloud technologies, uh, to finding ways to work remotely, to supporting their remote um, workers and contractors and partners. And so what we found was um, a phrase that a really good friend of mine and a colleague um, uses is adoption um, is, is the mother of all necessity or necessity is the mother of all adoption, however you want to phrase that, meaning that when you need to make things happen, you look for tools, you look for technology. and so. Um, we worked with a lot of companies, we worked with a lot of partners who took to the cloud, who leveraged the ability to work um, remotely, to pull content into what they needed to do to finish uh, shows, to finish editing, to finish um, what they were doing with music and dubbing, and then using the cloud um, upload what they could to places so that for B-roll specifically, and Trish knows all about this, for promotions, that show could continue to go on. So um, we've seen a lot of transformation. COVID really kicked us, you know, in our rear and uh, <laughs> people are resilient, it turns out. Yeah, people are resilient. And I can imagine, Jennifer, that you run a, a global team all over the world and support them, that uh, you were up all hours of the day and night because now everything had to be done remotely. So all the time differences, how did you manage that? And, and by the way, I know we have a lot of people who are watching us from all over the place. So everybody, please, when you put your comments into LinkedIn, tell us where you come from. Jennifer, how did you manage that incredible 24-hour day? Well, Lorraine, um, you know, where I work, the team is really virtual all the time. And we do absolutely work with partners and customers and colleagues um, across the globe. 
we're very, very lucky um, in that Microsoft has a platform called Teams, and this is basically what we live on, which is not too different from what we're doing right now. There's, you know, camera, there's collaboration technology, but fundamentally, uh, being able to work remotely actually gives everyone an opportunity to be connected in a very strange way. And yes, it's, it's labor intensive to have almost like a 24 hour um, connection. Of course, nobody works 24 hours, but it sometimes feels like it, you know, when you have um, global discussions. But the fact is because now be there are so many options for uh, folks across the enterprise, across the media industry, across partners and customers in different communities to leverage these collaboration technologies. It is absolutely possible to work without borders. It, you know, think about that. Working without borders when we used to go into a building or we used to travel and fly to go to a building. Now we can work without borders and, and technology and collaboration technology in particularly enables us to do that. And Jen, actually, it's not even just international borders. What I found was that COVID really brought about a creative collaboration between producers, the creatives that make the show, and the engineers and the technical people who put the show together that we'd never had before. Um, American Idol is a very well-oiled machine. It works really well, but this was different. And I had to re-engage with people on the technical side that normally we don't see much of because it all works great. So I had to establish, uh, we, we called it the five o'clock club at five o'clock every night for months on Zoom, Teams, all of those enabling technologies. There were 30 or 40 people who sat there and said, today's problem is this. And I would say, hey, listen, I want to be able to have, you know, three or four people from different parts of the country talk together. And they go, yeah, I don't know how you do that. Their internet is terrible in wherever they live. Uh, we became internet cops. We had to send uh, people around to make their internet better. So collaboration and creativity really came together in a way that I haven't seen for many years. And that was without it being an international border. But of course, it can expand out to that as well. It was very exciting. I it could not agree more. Yeah, it is exciting. When you think about the telecommunications companies with both Wi-Fi and, and all other kinds of communication, had to work with the technology from Microsoft and other providers, and then work together with the creative. So Trish, one of the things that I love about American Idol is how that creative process works between the musicians and the singers and the experts and the advisors. How did you get that magic to, to work with that creative spark without having people in person? Yeah, well, we just had to make it work. And there were some disadvantages and some advantages. So all our vocal coaching sessions had to be done via Zoom, which is very different from being in the room with somebody, you know. But uh, the interesting thing about American Idol is it's been going almost 20 years now. And it's always been at the forefront of technology and embraced technology. So um, without being too pop psychology about this, American Idol started in 2002. There was no YouTube, no Facebook, no nothing. And it was six months after 9-11. So the, the, the country needed to feel, let's, let's, let's be positive. Let's support 
talented kids with very little prospect. Let's try and invest in their career by voting for them. And so mass voting uh, became available, became possible because of technology. Uh, there are some great old clips of Ryan Seacrest with this huge phone, literally teaching people how to text. People didn't know how to do it. And then that, uh, I think, made people engage. They could vote for somebody. They felt an investment in their career and they supported them. And then more recently, we've done real-time coast-to-coast voting, which nobody done before apart from big award shows. You can vote on the East Coast, the West Coast, and have a result at the end of the show. And now COVID has come, which made us uh, think about and adopt more technology. And I think American Idol is better for it as a format. And whatever comes next in the technological world is going to make another big change. I think Idol will always embrace technology, and it, that's why it's still here 20 years later. That's amazing. Uh, Jennifer, how has uh, technology led us in a different direction? Because what uh, Trish is talking about is spectacular, uh, about using the technology that's already there. When you think for the future, um, what are your thoughts about the, the fan interaction and technology because interactive seems to be rearing its head more and more nowadays. You know, Lorraine, um, that's a really, really good point. I mean, think about what happened during COVID, not just in reality programming like American Idol. Think about what happened with the sporting events that couldn't have folks sit um, on the court side. Think about what they had to do to continue their show, so to speak. Um, so what we witnessed with folks like the NBA who work very closely with us is they actually leveraged a really interesting combination of taking very large LED displays, putting them around the court um, and leveraging you know, Microsoft collaboration technology to put in digital audiences into the, um, into the stadium, so to speak, um, so that there would actually be spectators for these folks to um, interact with even digitally, to cheer for them. You know, fundamentally fans of music, fans of sports, folks that interact with um, different type of arts are going to find new ways to connect with that content, even if they can't be there uh, in person. You know, certainly I was lucky enough to be in that audience uh, for the finale of American Idol. Thank you so much, Trish. Um, and what I witnessed was a bridging of live audience plus the digital audience coming together. And what I think is going to happen for a really long time into the future is we're going to see these hybrid events. We're going to see amazing folks like Trish create new engaging entertainment opportunities for us as consumers. There, there will be these hybrid events where some of us are going to either vote uh, via internet or social or dial-in, or we're going to interact with the talent in new ways, either collaboration technologies or, you know, potentially via mixed reality. Um, if we're able to actually bring together uh, holographic uh, examples, 3D virtual rea reality and AR as part of the actual entertainment experience. I think the future of the hybrid entertainment is is so, so, so bright. And, and I think we're going to see so many new um, executions that we haven't yet seen. Uh, and I'm super excited for it. 
Yeah, yeah me too. I also think, um, oh, so, so sorry, Lorraine. Um, I was oh, just yeah. thinking that um, because of COVID, because we've been forced to do more experimentation, more development, the costs are going to come down because some of the things you're talking about, like holograms and other ways of interacting, have been very expensive. So I think now they're going to be less expensive and ideas that people like me and my team have got are going to be more easy to achieve. I mean, America's Got Talent has just started on air again this season and we're sort of out of COVID, but not quite out of COVID. And it's been quite hard to manage. So there is a hybrid audience at the Pasadena Theatre where there are some real people, but a lot of uh, virtual people all interacting. And it's a slightly odd mix. Um, but it's sort of interesting as well. And one or the other wouldn't have quite worked. But together, uh, it, it's a, it, it's a, it feels like we're coming out of where we've been, but we don't quite know where we're going. Well, it's funny. If you think about the Academy Awards, maybe it could be a hybrid event where you had uh, 100 people in there and, and then folks who were actually the stars with no one else around except uh, uh, avatars which would be kind of a strange way to go. But I, what I do want to talk about is data because data is, everybody's value is in their data and also everybody's fear is both the stealing and the appropriation of their data. So when you think about data that's coming out of an event that is remote, I would think it's far more robust than the data coming out from an audience, but I could be absolutely wrong. So. Why don't both of you opine on that? And Jen, give us a bit of your thought on data. And then Trish, the audience data that you maybe have gathered over the years from live audiences. Jen. Certainly. Well, so um, as Trish will tell you, um, data is one of my most favorite topics because <laughs> I, I believe that understanding audience makeup, understanding segmentation, understanding insights from what the audience brings and sees and views and reads is incredibly valuable. And Lorraine, you're absolutely right. You know, data always comes with, well, where's privacy? You know, where is the, the, the line uh, between being creepy and spooky? You know, are, are too much um, uh, audience uh, data somehow, you know, connected to um, that privacy concerns? But what I can tell you from a business perspective, um, media companies have come to us and in my current role and frankly in my prior roles and have said, we need to know what our audiences are most engaged with. That insight helps us create the beginning process of what we make, what we create, how it gets edited, and how it actually gets distributed without the understanding of what audiences actually interact with the most, you can't monetize that experience either by selling advertising around it to big brands who are willing to pay for that audience or by driving subscription revenues so that audiences can come in, subscribe and stay in a subscription. So to answer your question, Lorraine, there's a lot of data. A lot of data is being collected it is being collected thoughtfully and very carefully. Um, for, for one, um, Microsoft today does not transact in any kind of data. We are very, very, very careful. We put privacy, compliance, security at the very top of all of our conversations with all of our customers. 
and in media in particular, um, without understanding where the audience is and how it is engaging with content. I would suspect, Trish, you would agree that, you know, without those insights, you know, sometimes it's really hard to know, are the messages landing? You know, is the show uh, connecting with the right people? Could we continue to sell uh, advertising and sponsorship if we don't fully understand the audience makeup? So it has become the lifeblood of the business side of entertainment, really driving insights from audience data. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah very much so. Trish, Trish, tell us a little bit about your experience with audience data at, uh, at Idol and also America's Got Talent. Yeah, um, I look at it slightly differently. The networks obviously gather huge amounts of this data in order to you know, work with the advertisers and the sponsors. So they gather it in a slightly different way. We don't have access to all of that either, which is uh, you know, another issue about access. But I think it's more about the curation of this data, which interests me, because I'm obviously interested in making programs that our viewers will want to watch. But our viewers now are not just linear. You know, we have a lot of people who say to me, oh, God, I loved American Idol last week. It was great. I said, so where did you watch it? I watched it on YouTube. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. And more and more, a lot of young people don't watch linear television at all. But if you're watching on YouTube, you don't see the linking. You don't see the judging. You just see the performances. So there's a, and I've worked with various companies that do these huge data dives and come up with stuff. But actually, they haven't quite got it right because they didn't pay attention to what the there was something else on the other side. That's why it dipped that week, because the Billboard Awards were on. Having said that, we beat the Billboard Awards in our finale. But, um, you know, that there are, it, it's the curation of it. It's the understanding of it. And it's the access to full data. And lots of people have access to different bits of data. So I think it's fascinating. And one of the things that I instigated when I came to both America's Got Talent and uh, American Idol was we have uh, the head of our digital team does an instant reaction report. So he watches the East Coast when, when we're split East Coast and West Coast. He watches the East Coast um, transmission and he writes me a report there and then. So even before it's gone out on the West Coast, I know what they're thinking. And that helps me think about how I produce the show next week. So mm -hmm. it's feedback from Twitter, from YouTube, from Facebook, whatever. And you have to use it with instinct as well. You can't yeah. just go on the data. It's got to be, oh, I wonder why they're saying that. That's just not right. So it's a combination of instinct and what I would call research data. I love that because, you know, the human element has to be there. And it's nice to know that management expertise is actually still valuable. It's not just data. We have my producers telling me that we have a, a question about leadership. So I'd love to see that up. And, and let's see if uh, uh, both of you can give us some good answers. So this is Arlene from Miami. She wants to know from both of you, did your leadership style change during this period? So, Jen, why don't you tell us yours and then, Trish, over to you. Thank you, Lorraine. Um, yes, I think we all learned a lot during this period. We learned to be more empathetic. We learned to be a little bit more patient with ourselves and with our colleagues. Um, we learned that not everything has to be done right this minute, and we learned to breathe, I believe. At least I hope um, I've been communicating these messages. I also saw a lot of leaders step up to say they want to understand how folks that are on their teams are feeling 
how people are dealing with um, what's going on with their lives and actually step a little bit further into understanding the human element uh, of folks rather than just, you know, business as usual, let's just get from the meeting beginning to the meeting end. So I think a lot of empathy, a lot of patience, and um, a lot of learning that happened during this very, very traumatic period. Um, and so I, I think that those that have experienced that empathy from others could continue to deliver it uh, and pay it forward. Yes, yeah, that uh, that's the secret, isn't it? When things go back to some different kind of normal, can we continue to retain the good stuff? So Trish, what's been your leadership uh, changes, if any? Yeah, I, it's interesting, Jen, because we're all seeing each other so much more now on Zooms and Microsoft Teams. And, you know, we see where people live. We see if they've got a dog. I mean, we see it when we audition our contestants. You know, we have dogs and grannies and goodness <laughs> knows what. And um, not everybody lives in a lovely house with a garden. You know, I think COVID has been tough in so many different ways for so many different people. So I think Jen's point about empathy is completely right. Collaboration as well. Um, being clear, I think. I mean, being clear is always good if you're a leader. But I think during these times, it's trying to have some clarity about this is what we're doing. We're not quite sure what next week or next month is going to look like, but it's going to be okay. So clarity, some sort of reinforcement of positivity, I think, uh, which we might have done anyway, but you have to do more of it. Flexibility, certainly, because none of us knew. Um, and I think just sort of hope and, and not fear, really, trying to instill some sort of hope in people and not to be too frightened of what's coming because, you know, we got it. We'll go with it, whatever whatever it is. So I think um, leadership qualities that we probably already have, you've just had to sort of amp them up in certain areas. Yeah, I think being vulnerable is what you've just, to summarize what you've just said, is saying, I don't have all the answers. This is a brand new situation. None of us know what to do next, but this is what I think we could. You know, let's do the best we can and then pivot if it doesn't work that way. You know, um, there are a number of different questions, but I, I don't want to bring them all up, but I do want to, to take the essence of them. And many of them are asking, what is your personal journey? How did you get to where you are now? So, um, Trish, why don't you take this one? Tell us, how did you get to get involved in something like Idol? Um, I never wanted to do anything else, not Idol, but TV. Um, since I was a young child, television was relatively new when I was uh, a child. And it was fascinating. And I never wanted to do anything else. So every single decision I made about what subjects I studied at university, I had to go to South Africa to try and get a job in TV because it was hard to get a job in the UK. It was all to do with working in television. And I didn't quite know which bit of TV, but uh, that became clear as I went along. And um, so it was Granada Television in the UK. Uh, Fremantle asked me to come for a year to run worldwide entertainment which was sending out flying producers all over the world to ensure the quality of our formats. And then uh, after a year of that, the woman who was running Fremantle North America was leaving the, that role and she said, just get out here. It was a huge move for me and my family. Uh, my kids were 21. My husband had a good job in the UK in television and we all up sticks and came out here. And now 10 years later, I'm still here. Well, it's our gain, and we're so grateful that you took that job and that you moved here to the United States and 
And look what you've made happen. Amazing. So, Jennifer, what was your journey? I know you've got so much experience. Tell us how it all started. Well, I was um, lucky enough to, um, to join a, a very large technology company uh, when I was still in college. Um, it was Oracle. And I learned a lot um, about databases and application development. I actually graduated with a computer science degree and, and marketing. And I was always very interested in how technology and business came together. And, you know, through many different iterations of small companies and, and large companies, I've been privileged to um, been the founder and CEO of several of my own companies that blend together that technology plus business acumen plus the understanding of data and audiences that you know led me to the industry of entertainment where I always thought that the intersection between capturing the imagination of what's possible creatively coupled with technology innovation and the understanding of what audiences want is, is such a nucleus that I've stayed in this industry for quite a while and, and actually parlayed that passion into uh, the work that I did at Adobe prior to coming back to Microsoft where this intersection between entertainment, creative experiences, technology and data all come together to support both the creators and all of us as consumers. And so I'm very grateful to have been in this industry for so long, to know and meet folks like Trish who are doing amazing things, creating amazing programming. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd rather not be anywhere else. I mean, media entertainment is kind of who I am, as I say, not what I do. So it's very, very exciting. Well, you know what, Jennifer, you are absolutely in the most exciting area of growth right now, as is Trish. And uh, what a thrill it is to have you both on our show. And I know that there are a lot of people who would like to listen to you talk for at least another hour, and I'm one of them. So I just want to thank you both for your insights and your intelligence, your talent, and for being part of EWA. You make such a difference to our sisterhood and contribute so much to us. So thank you all for being uh, there and with us. Um, unfortunately, yeah, that, unfortunately, we have to leave today, but um, we have another show coming, so don't be afraid if you'll miss anything. We'll make sure that you can see it. We're going to promote it because it is a very interesting show about two incredible, exceptional women awardees. One of them is Amy Hanlon Rodimich, and the other one is uh, Judith Schrecker. Amy is the chief people officer at Global Logic, which was just acquired by Hitachi for $9.7 billion. And Judy, Judy Schrecker is the former CFO of Alcoa Global Rolling Products Division. She serves on the public board of ClearSign. Both of them are incredible executives with great experience. And they're going to talk about how to get a seat at the table and a voice at the table. And more importantly, what is the difference between mentoring and sponsoring? And they have personal experiences to tell you about. And they're also going to analyze My Fair Lady. Wait to see what that was. Was that a mentor or was that a sponsor? You'll find out at our next program. And I will, of course, leave you with a question today. And the question is, do you prefer entertainment programmings where you can actually participate? 
Are you one of those fans who likes to participate? Please send your email to me, which is up on the screen, and let us know your thoughts. I'm so grateful to you for being with us today. Remember that this entire show will become a podcast, so you can find it again on Spotify and Amazon Music and elsewhere. And of course, we welcome your questions and comments in our LinkedIn and other social media. Look forward to seeing you at our next show. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.